All right, let's go ahead and look at our sermon notes. We are st starting a new series today entitled Greater, in other words, Overcoming the Lesser, the Lesser Life. And we're going to talk about really understanding the next few weeks of what it really means to live the greater life. The, in your sermon notes, uh, I put a scripture reference in there, and it, it was my error, I believe, uh, in between services I was looking, the third scripture passage here where it says John 12, 1. My recollection is that's actually John chapter 3, verse 1. And so cross that out and put it in there. Double, I'm pretty sure it's actually chapter 3, not chapter 12. But again, that was my error. I type all of the notes myself in case you're wondering. I do have people proofread them, but they trust me with the scripture. We're going to read three passages. That'll teach them. All right. We're going to read three passages, two from the book of John and one from the Old Testament. Uh, let's go ahead and start off with the first one. It's Jesus talking about us. All right. Take a look here. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. In other words, people who are Christ followers. The works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works. Underline that. And greater works than these he shall do. Now, you need to know he's making reference to the miracles that he's performed. Because I go to the Father. Circle that word because. In fact, go ahead and to the person on your left and ask him, hey, you've been doing better than Jesus lately? Go ahead and ask him. <laughs> All right, if not, we better make sure we understand what the greater life is then. Let's read the second passage. Now, this one's from the Old Testament. And just so I don't lose any of you, the prophet in Israel at the time of this writing is named Elijah. But the new prophet is going to be named Elisha. Now, for those of you who have young, you know, going to have your family and starting to name your children, it's really a bad idea to name one child Elijah and one of them Elisha, all right? The, those of us who, you know, raise kids, we understand that by the time they reach a certain age, you're going to be calling out every single name, hoping to get that kid. And when you're driving in the car and you are mad and you are swinging over the back seat, you're going to be calling every kid's name, all right? And my youngest son, he never minded it when his mother would say, Ryan Ross, you know, the, when it, she'd go through the list, but now she has added in the dog, and it, it's kind of offending him just a little bit. And so I just want to give you that counsel. And so I say all of that to get it firmly planted in your mind. The current prophet is named Elijah. The new prophet is going to be named Elisha. All right, take a look here. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now, he's only driving one pair of oxen, all right? Other people are driving the rest of them. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Now, the reason he ran after him immediately is because he recognized what it meant for the prophet to take off his cloak or his mantle or his coat and throw it around the shoulders was a sign that this is going to be the next anointed prophet. And so Elisha, he recognizes the importance of what's just occurred. He knows life is about to change. So he says to Elijah, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll come with you. Now, the next line, just to be honest, the New International Version has had trouble translating this particular line. Other translations have done a better job. For those of you who read the message paraphrase, they've even handled this really well. And so I'm going to make some adjustments to this line. Where it says, go back, put a question mark after that. You, you might say, you know, Pastor Ron, you can't just go adding in punctuation wherever you want. Wait a minute. The, the Old Testament was written without punctuation. This is exactly what had to be done to bring it forward into American English that we can understand. So, go back, Elijah replied. And then after the word replied, write the word after. 
Because again, in American English, we would phrase it this way. Go back after what I have done to you. Go back. You would go back. In other words, it's an incredulous tone that going on there. Surprise. So Elisha left him and went back. But he doesn't go back to kiss his mother and father. Instead, he goes back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment, underlined it. He burned the plowing equipment. This is very similar to what we see in the New Testament at the call of Peter. And Peter and John, all those guys leave the nets on the beach, leave the boats there to follow Jesus. He burns the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elisha and become his servant. He doesn't, he's not becoming his butler. He's becoming his protege. And then in John chapter 3, verse 1, this last passage, it says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, underline his name, Nicodemus, that'll be important later on, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Let's pause there for a minute. Most of the time when we talk about Pharisees in the New Testament, you know, Jesus is mad at them. You need to know that there were Pharisees that followed after Jesus. What's happening here is Nicodemus is trying to, to weigh things over, and he's trying to make a decision of what he personally should do. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Would you underline that phrase, born again? Sometimes in churches you'll hear the phrase, well, he was born again or he was saved. You need to know those are synonymous with they began a relationship with Christ. They began a relationship with Christ. They were born again. They were saved. All mean the same thing. We draw these phrases from the New Testament. We get the one being born again from this particular passage. And so unless they're born again, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In other words, Jesus must be lifted up figuratively but we also know that in the crucifixion, he's going to be lifted up literally. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, have any of you ever been watching a football game and seen people hold up those signs that say John 3.16? How many of you guys, you ever seen those? In fact, there used years, there was a guy with multicolor hair, wig. Yeah, how many of you remember seeing him? And he would hold up that sign, John 3.16. That's from this verse. In other words, John 3.16 says, now I learned it in King James, so forgive me. What it says is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus because he was mad at us. No, he sent him in order to save the world through him. All right, take a look at the right-hand side. Let's talk about the greater life. Letter A, it's great to say that we're meant for more, but what does more really mean? You see, oftentimes, if we don't decide for ourselves, our culture will try and decide for us. Look at number one with me. We live in a world of low-grade dissatisfaction, always looking for the next thing that will make us feel better about being us. So we move, we quit, we start, we trade in old relationships for new relationships. We're always one purchase away from feeling better. You know, if we could just go here or we could just acquire this or we could just get this position or we could just get this raise or we could just get assigned to that project, we live in a constant state of feeling, if only this happened, then I would truly feel satisfied. And so like a low-grade fever through our culture, we're always one, just one step away from contentment. But we understand, don't we, that as those things come, as the raise comes, as the new position comes, as the new opportunity, as those things come, 
The satisfaction just shifts itself to something else. Our culture tries to convince us, if only this occurred, then you would feel satisfied. Or look at number two. Then TV, it tells us what we should be rich or famous. So we live in constant comparison with one another. Always wondering who's making more money. Always wondering who has the bigger house. Always wondering, you know, am I doing better than this person at pastors? We do the same thing. Is our church doing better than that church? Or, you know, who's more effective or this? Or who's been more successful here? No matter what, what industry you work in, you find ways to compare yourself. In fact, oftentimes when on TV or in magazines, it'll tell us how much money someone has. We'll immediately look to see how old they are. We don't mind people a lot older than us having more money, and but now that I'm this old, you know, and most of the world is so much younger than me, it's getting a lot harder in these comparisons. In other words, constantly looking to see who's prettier, who's handsomer, who has more, who's accomplishing more. We live in a, a, a realm of continuous comparison. And then finally, the third one, then we round it out with the Bible coming along and telling us that we're going to do even greater things than Jesus. Turn to the person on your right now and ask them, have you been doing? You've been doing better than Jesus? lately? Go ahead and ask him. Because that's what the Bible says to us. We better make sure we understand what that's talking about because the truth of the matter is most of the time we feel dissatisfied. Most of the time we feel like we're losing in comparison. And when it says that we'll do better than Jesus, the whole idea strikes us as absurd. There's no way, friends, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is living the greater life. The, uh, bless you. The 20, you know, a thousand Christians around you. Not one bless you, okay? Sorry. <laughs> you know, I thought, man, no one's carrying the water here. I guess I better step in. Constantly struggling, wondering what the greater life looks like. We're going to study that over the next few weeks. And we're going to begin today, though. Let's look at a few choices that we have. Look at number four with me. So what are our choices when we think about the greater life? Well, first of all, we can just avoid the subject and just settle, settle for what's good enough. So letter A, we can just accept mediocrity. And there have been times in my life I've done exactly that. I've thought, ah, oh, shoot, I'm not going to worry about it. That's good enough. Around the church, sometimes I'll do that. We are, we are a church that cares about quality. I'll just be honest with you. Things that are not up to cornerstone quality drive me a little bit crazy. But every once in a while, I'll look at the staff, and I'll see that, man, they are working so very, very hard. And I'll look at the lay leaders, and, and they are running to do everything that needs to be done. And, and, you know, I'll just feel kind of overwhelmed. I'll say, oh, shoot, forget it. You know, that's good enough. Sometimes we'll settle for mediocrity. Friends, we want to be careful that in our lives, we don't just settle for good enough. But I don't want to go to the other extreme. Look at letter B with me, and that's what I call fairy tale greatness. Fairy tale greatness is when we, we become convinced that, man, if we work hard enough, we should be world known. If we, if we study hard enough, if we work hard enough, if we practice enough, you know, maybe we're going to be that next world class athlete. And I'm hoping no more world class athletes get up, end up in jail this week. But, you know, at some point, we're going to be known by everybody. Friends, the only way I'm ever going to be known by the whole world is if I do something really, really bad. I wasn't designed to be known by the whole world. Some of you have noticed that I've joined Facebook, and there are two things. That occurred to me. One, that was the single stupidest thing I've ever done, and you people are crazy. I mean, it's just, I think to myself, I get these friend requests every day, and, and you know, I weigh them over and think, oh, well, shoot, do I really want to be their friend? And you know, I just, and so I've just taken, a, I've got the policy now, I'm accepting every friend. There are several friends that I just hate. I mean, it's just, 
You know, I know you guys are too religious for that and too spiritual. You just pretend like you like everybody. And so you just, I don't know, I just, the, I, I'm having trouble with the whole concept here. But friends, the, these are things that we convince ourselves that we'll live the, the idea of fairy tale greatness, settling or fairy tale greatness. We want to know is there, is there a third choice? There is. It's a biblical choice. And the idea of greater isn't about being world known. The, be, living the greater life isn't about standing alone. That's not what the Bible describes at all. In fact, look at the, the next one there. Let her see with me. Greater, what does it mean? It's the life-altering recognition that God has holy greatness. Holy greatness for your life that can't be achieved without connection to Him. Now, I know the word holy is an old word. I, I know that. And when some of you hear the word holy, in fact, I, I don't know what you really think. Turn to the person next to you and use another word besides holy. What, what would you use as a synonym of holy? See if you can come up with one with the person next to you. Did any of you use the word perfect? Yeah, several of you. That's, that's kind of when I hear the word holy, that, that's kind of what I think of too. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Holiness isn't perfection. No, we all live in continual need of Christ's forgiveness, and he's so generous with it. That's, that's why we are so impressed with this whole idea of grace. I mean, we need it so desperately. Holy isn't about being perfect. Holy isn't about a list of do's and don'ts. Sometimes many of us grew up in an atmosphere where, you know, if you're holy, really, it wasn't even so much do's. I mean, you know, there wasn't really anything to do. It was just a matter of don't. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't wear this, don't go here, okay? I mean, it was just a, it was a list, and, you know, some of you are wondering how you're doing on the list, and you're not doing all that well, okay? I mean, we had a kind of a strict list. The idea of holy isn't about a, living a Christian life of do's and don'ts. That's not what it is. Holy means set apart. It means, it means going to be used by God. What happens to Elijah in our scripture is there is a holy calling put on his life. He is being called to be the next prophet in Israel. This idea of living the greater life means living the holy life, the calling, the uniqueness that God has designed you for. Look at number five. So what would be greater than the healing miracles? Because Jesus said we're going to live a life greater than, than what he has done. What would be greater than the healing miracles? First, being who God designed us to be. In other words, God uh, of infinite creativity took your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your personality, took all of those things and, and rolled them all together and, and made you. Actually living out in ministry and in life and in relationship and in touching the lives of others who God designed us to be. That, that would be a, a good first step. How about this next one? Being part of healing the hearts of the whole world because that's the mission of the church. It says here in the scripture at the end of the, the passage from John, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. He instituted the church that we would take on the mission of taking his message to the entire globe. What would be being part of the greater life? Being part of the greater, living the greater life would be about being a part of that mission that the blessing God has placed in our hearts that we would share it around the globe. Yesterday, there was a missions conference over in small church and there were a couple of hundred people there that just have a passion, have recognized that together we can do greater things around the globe than we could ever do separately. And so they have made a decision in their life. They want to be, they desperately want to be a part of this mission to the entire world. But let's go ahead and finish it. What would be the, the third part of it? To be greater because you've joined hands with Jesus and his church. 
that we would understand that greater means greater together. You see, we've been so trained in this idea of John Wayne Christianity that I'll stand alone, I'll be strong, I, I don't really need anybody else. Friends, that's not the New Testament picture at all. The New Testament picture of the greater life is never standing strong on our own. That, I, I can't find that picture. The picture I find in the New Testament of the greater life is when we begin to join hands with one another. When we join hands with our Heavenly Father through the sacrifice of His Son, when we join hands with one another. In fact, I'll just be candid with you. Most ever, let me rephrase. I believe every good thing in your life starts off with joining hands with someone next to you. The deepest relationships in your life start off with joining hands with someone. Everything good that happens to you, it's not because we stand alone. It's because we stand together. The greater life we're going to talk about isn't about you being strong. No, it's about us being strong. It's about us touching the world. It's about us living out our holy calling. This is the greater life that the New Testament calls us to. It wasn't about Elisha being alone. It was about him being willing to join hands with Elijah to learn to be the next prophet. Let's take a look at letter B. Let's talk about the first step. The first step we draw directly from our scripture in 1 Kings, and that's burning the plow. What you let go of and what you reach for will determine who you become. The things you let go of and the things you reach for are going to, over time, define who you are. Let's talk about Elijah for just a minute. Now, number one, Elijah was already a follower of God. In other words, this is not being born again. This is not beginning a relationship with God, what happens in this passage. It's not what happens. No, Elisha is already a follower of God. Now he's going to pursue his greater life. Elijah recognizes what happens. Letter A it's greater because God invited him to his unique calling. Now, oftentimes people get confused about this idea of calling to ministry. Calling to ministry sometimes is a little confusing. I believe that, uh, that pastors are called to ministry, but I believe other people are called to ministry. But there's more than one type of ministry. There's ministry that we do because there's an opportunity and there's a need that intersects with that opportunity, and we step forward and begin to touch the people's lives around us. When I talk to you about early childhood department, that is a great example of people stepping forward because there's a need, there's an opportunity, we go forward in ministry. But I also believe that there's the unique calling that God places on each person's life where God helps you find that perfect place of service. For Elijah, it was going to be the prophet. Now, some people, their perfect place of service is early childhood department. My wife is a good example. I mean, she's like the baby whisperer. I mean, some baby, they just can't get it to stop crying. They call in the, the big guns. Debbie will come in and, and calm that baby down. I mean, she's just really, really good. And so for her, that was her perfect place. That was her unique calling. And so for 22 years, she has ministered that department. There's a group of people around her, that that is their unique calling. In any area of ministry, it can be a unique calling, but that's where God takes who you are and brings you to the place of accepting the mantle that he's placed on you, calling you to that particular thing. Here's the thing most people don't understand. I am a firm believer that we never get to the unique calling 
until we take up the, the opportunity intersecting with a need. Let me describe it to you this way. The, how many of you can remember before there was power steering on cars? You just go ahead and admit. The old as dirt. I understand that. The, I remember that. In fact, some of you are too young. And, and so, you know, nowadays, the, you don't understand that, you know, to be a cool driver years ago, you had to be strong. Now, everybody's a cool driver. You just got one hand. You young guys, you did driving along. She's got one hand on the wheel. You do that because you got this other hand free to put around her. And so you're just driving along. But now that everyone has to wear a seatbelt, she's clear on the other side of the car. So to be a cool guy, now you got to have long arms, you know, to reach. And so, you know, but you're just driving along. Friends, a car that go out when you leave here, go ahead and turn on to unlock the steering wheel. But don't start the engine. And then go ahead and try and turn that wheel. Or if any of you ever had a car die as, you know, as you're there at a stop sign or starting to pull out. And, you know, and you're trying to turn it, you're trying to move that wheel you're doing like this friends that's because ordinarily it is assisted power but when it stops it's all you turning that what you need to understand is a car that's moving is so much easier to steer some people are never going to find their unique calling of ministry because you're at a dead stop until you stop moving it is awfully difficult for God to steer you. It's awfully difficult for him to help you find that perfect place. And if some of you, uh, you know, you, you just can't, ah, Ron, the, the car example doesn't really, I don't really identify with it. It's okay, I'll go back to the scripture. God's not moving till you do. In ministry, God calls us to obedience first. God's not moving till you do. You go ahead and find a place to serve, and then God will help you find your unique calling. What Elisha is only there because he's already out there plowing, planting crops for Israel. If Elisha is not already out there doing what God had directed him to do, there is no Elisha to be called by Elijah. As Elijah comes and finds him in the field doing the work that he was called to, he puts his mantle on him. Friends, Elisha is going to live the greater life now. Because he has found his unique calling that God had for him. Look at the next one there. Letter B, it's greater because now he's going to touch the lives of others. When you have a decision of whether or not to go this path or that path, way over which one is going to touch the lives of others in a positive way, most of the time, that's the correct path for you. The third reason it's the greater life. But he has to leave the plow behind. It's only going to be the greater life because he's willing to burn that plow. I need to ask you the question, what is it that's preventing you from living the greater life? What is it from you taking that step of ministry? What is it for you... At, that is causing you to shirk away as Elijah tries to put the, the mantle on your shoulders. What is it for you that causes you to step back? Here's how you'll phrase it. You'll say, you know, Pastor Ron, I would get involved in ministry. I would do that, or, or I would step up and lead that Bible study, or I would, I would help with that class at the women's retreat. I, I, would, I would do those things, but you go ahead and fill in what comes after the but, and you got a pretty good idea of what the plow looks like, all right? In other words, this idea of, well, I would except for. Now, I, you know, I hate to start naming stuff off because it'll give you the impression that I'm against this stuff. You know, if I was to start saying, well, you know, Pastor Ron, I would do that, but my family's always out on our boat on the weekends. Friends, I am not against you having boats. The, I'm not going to pray that they sink. No, I'm glad you have a boat because I don't want to have to buy one. And I would rather you just invite me to go on yours. I'm not against RVs. That way I don't have to buy one. You should just invite me to go on yours. Vacation homes, I'm all for it. Leave the key under the mat, all right? I'm not against any of this stuff. What I'm against is people being tied to the plow, tied to the hobby, 
tied to the work schedule, tied to whatever keeps you there trapped in the field like Elijah was until he sensed the mantle of God's calling on his shoulders and Elisha said, there is no way I'm staying here. Hey, you mind if I go back and kiss my mom and dad goodbye? Nope, take too much time. Here, let me sacrifice these things and give the meat to the people. Goes back, lights up the plow, butchers it, and gives the food out. Friends, this idea of Elijah accepting staying in the field was something that was repugnant to him. Why is it that we, so, we accept it so easily? Why would we accept less than God's calling on our lives? Why would we settle for anything less than God's mantle on our shoulders? Why would we settle for what's fourth or fifth or 20th best when God offers the opportunity for ministry of opportunity and need and then a unique calling by him when he offers that to us? Why would we settle for being tied to the plow? It's because the plow becomes comfortable. The plow we are used to. The plow has no danger for us. The plow has no challenge for us. The plow is something that that we can do almost without thinking. The plow is settling for just the life that we have. We're talking about the greater life. Elisha begins it by accepting the mantle God has for him. But let's look at our last guy, Nicodemus. Now, he's not a Christ follower. Elisha was. But at Nicodemus, he's not. Nicodemus is not a follower yet, and he's being invited to accept the greater life. And so he's got to make a choice here. Now, letter A, it's going to be greater because we get rescued from our past and we have a future with him. It's going to be greater because we get to leave behind the plow and to go with Jesus. Put your notes aside for just a minute. You need to know from here on out, I'm going to talk to two groups of people. I'm going to talk to Elisha's. You're already a follower of Christ. But as the mantle of the next step of ministry came along, the next step of discipleship came along, you shrugged your shoulders, and you didn't allow Elijah to put it on your shoulders. And then I also want to talk to those of you that you're a Nicodemus. You've been coming. You've been attending. You've been hearing about this idea of commitment to Christ. And and you've been feeling like, you know, I I should do that. But, you know, I, I just, I haven't taken that step. For those of you who are Elisha's, this won't take long. I just need to ask you, what's the plow, and are you willing to burn it yet? What's the plow, and are you willing to burn it yet? Are you willing to make a commitment today that, Lord, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that go? That, that thing that has prevented me, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm certainly not saying it's an evil thing. The, the plow certainly wasn't evil. I'm asking, are you willing to let that go in order to live the greater life that God has for you. Not world fame. I'm talking about greater together. I'm talking about touching other people's lives. I'm talking about being called in your unique calling. Are you willing to let go of the plow to grasp what God has for you? For those of you, you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing. But over the last several weeks as you've been coming, you listen to the songs, you feel something. You listen to Pastor Josh or Pastor Ron Baum or myself get up and read your scripture that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. And you think that's what you want, that you want forgiveness of the past, that you don't want to carry around guilt into your future, but instead you want to, you want to follow him. Maybe you're a Nicodemus today. Bow your heads with me for just a minute. Because I'm going to give an opportunity for Elisha's and Nicodemus's to make a commitment. 
If you're a, an Elisha and you recognize what's the plow, say, Rana, I know today's my day to burn the plow. I know today is my day to commit that I am not going to be tied to that plow the rest of my life. I will not allow that to prevent me from being who God has uniquely created me to be and to do what God has uniquely created me to do. If that's you, I would just ask you, raise your hand and take it down. I'll pray with you. Yes, yes, around the room. Thank you. Thank you. Up in the balcony as well. Thank you. I appreciate you recognizing what the plow looks like. For those of you that you're Nicodemus, say, Ron, I, I haven't been born again. I haven't been saved. I haven't begun a relationship with Christ. No matter how you term it, I haven't taken that step. But I sense that it's time. If that's you and you want to begin a relationship with Christ today, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and take it down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there at the back. Thank you. I saw yours over the far, my far left, up in the balcony. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On my far left in the balcony, anyone up there? I didn't want to miss you. With that, let's just pray together. Let's pray for the Elijahs first. Lord Jesus, for each Elisha in the room, Lord, I pray they wouldn't go out of here feeling guilty or condemned. But Jesus, they would understand most all of us have been an Elisha at some point that got scared when the mantle got close, that got scared when your unique calling came on us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give them courage, that, Lord, they would understand their life doesn't have to be defined by the plow, but, Lord, that you have uniquely created them. And as we study the greater life, that, God, our prayer is that they would burn the plow, that, Lord Jesus, we commit to you. We will not be bound to it. Instead, we say, Lord, whatever you desire, wherever you call, whatever you desire in our hearts and lives, that's what we want to. And, Lord, for each Nicodemus in the room that's just been coming week after week with questions, Jesus, today, they want to begin their relationship with you. So if you're a Nicodemus, I'll just invite you to silently pray with me. Dear Jesus, Please come into my heart. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the past. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I'd like you to become the leader of my life. I've been doing it on my own for a long time. But Lord, instead, I, I want to follow after you. So Lord, I, as much as I understand this, I want you to become the Lord of my life. Lord Jesus, I pray that People wouldn't feel like they have to talk you into it. Lord, your word says you stand at their heart's door and knock. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge who you are. We know that you went to that cross. We know that you went to the tomb, and we know you were resurrected from it, that we could have eternal life with you. And Lord, we're grateful. Lord, there are several in the congregation here who are inviting you in today, and God, I pray they would know they are welcome in your family. And Lord Jesus, that they won't have to journey forward alone. Lord Jesus, each week we will help train one another, that we will learn together, that we'll get in small groups together, that we'll get in ministry together, and together we will live the greater life that you intend for your children. Lord Jesus, we love you and ask all in your name. Amen.